0: Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us. Well, today, it looks like we hit back in the time of the Roman Republic and the Third Servile War, which ran from 73 to 71 BC. I'm guessing that few of you are aware of this conflict, at least by that name. But I'm also guessing that most of you know one of the war's leaders. None other than Kirk Douglas. I mean, Spartacus. Let's see what happened. So, throughout the history of ancient Rome, slave labor was used to varying degrees and certainly had an impact on the economy. Slaves could come from a host of places, including being purchased from slave brokers or the enslavement of foreign populations following military conquest. The 1st and 2nd centuries BC were a time when Rome was fighting wars of conquest all over the map, and hundreds of thousands of slaves were imported into the Roman economy during this time. The majority of slaves worked the agricultural fields in southern Italy and Sicily or were used in the mines. A much smaller number were also used as servants and even craftsmen. Throughout history, slaves have never been treated well, and this certainly holds true for the republican period in which our story takes place. Like all slaves, these people were seen as property. Slave owners could abuse, injure, and even kill their slaves without any kind of legal consequence. And of course, the many who did work the fields and the mines had nothing but a life of hard, physical labor to look forward to. Now, since what we're talking about here is the third servile War, logic says there must have been two previous ones. The first and second servile Wars took place in Sicily, in 135 BC and 104 BC, respectively, and resulted from the harsh treatment of the slave populations there. The Roman Senate saw both of these wars as a serious civil disturbance, and each took direct military intervention and a number of years to put down. But neither of these was ever considered a serious threat to the Roman Republic. On top of this, the Roman heartland Had never seen a slave uprising, nor had slaves ever been seen as a potential threat to the city of Rome itself. But oh, wait, that's all going to change with the Third Servile War. Another thing to remember about Rome at this time was that gladiatorial games were perhaps the most popular form of entertainment. This necessitated a large number of gladiators, and so a number of training schools were established throughout the Italian peninsula. It was at these schools that prisoners of war and condemned criminals, who were considered slaves, were taught the tactics to fight in gladiatorial games. In 73 BC, a group of about 200 gladiators plotted an escape from a gladiator school in Capua, owned by Lentulius Badiatis. Their initial plot was somehow betrayed, but about 70 of them seized the moment and grabbed kitchen implements, mainly knives and turning spits, and fought their way out of the school. On their way out the door, so to speak, they took several wagon loads of gladiatorial weapons and armor. Once free, these escaped gladiators chose men from among their ranks to lead them. They chose two former Gallic slaves named Crixus and Onimus, and a Thracian auxiliary from the Roman legions, who had been condemned to slavery. His name was Spartacus. A small force of troops was sent from Capua to try to recapture these men, but the former gladiators easily defeated them and added captured military equipment to their arsenal. Now, historians become rather unclear in the exact order of what happened next, but it's generally agreed that the men plundered the region around Capua and in the process recruited a number of other slaves to join them. It is also known that after a while they moved on to Mount Vesuvius because it was a far easier position to defend. This rebellion quickly came to the intention of the Roman authorities because the area around Capua in which the slaves were running amok happened to be a region where many rich and influential Romans had estates. Think of these almost like vacation homes outside the hustle and bustle of the big city. That being said, this revolt was initially seen as a large crime wave rather than an actual rebellion. But even so, in the latter part of 73 BC, Rome sent a military force under Praetorian authority to put down the rebels. It was led by Gaius Claudius Glaber. By the way, a praetor during the Republic was like a magistrate, so Glaber was sort of like the local law. He put together a force of three thousand men. These guys were a quickly assembled militia, and not regular troops from one of the legions. As I said, the revolt was seen as a crime wave at this time, so they didn't think it necessary to involve the army. When Glaber and his forces arrived, The slaves were encamped on Mount Vesuvius. They were in an excellent defensive position, so Glaber decided to lay siege to their camp. He cut off the only known path down the mountain and settled in to starve them out. Spartacus and his men responded to the siege by thinking outside the box. They utilized the vines and trees growing on Vesuvius to make themselves ropes and ladders. Then they used these to climb down the side of the mountain away from Glaber's forces. They moved around the base of Vesuvius and took Glaber completely by surprise, easily outflanking him and destroying his troops. With the loss of Glaber's force, a second militia group, under the command of Publius Varinius, was sent against Spartacus. This is another portion of our story in which not a whole lot is known but it seems that Verinius split his force and put his two subordinates, Furius and Cassinius, in charge of each half. Why he did this we can't be sure, but we know that the entire group was defeated by Spartacus and his men. Cassinius was killed in battle, Verinius barely escaped capture, and most of the group's equipment and weapons were carried off by the former slaves. With these two victories, More and more slaves flocked to join up with the rebel forces. It was also said that some of the herdsmen and shepherds from the region joined Spartacus as well, and they now numbered perhaps 70,000 men. They spent the winter of 73 to 72 BC equipping, arming, and training these new recruits. They also expanded their raids to include the towns of Nola, Nusaria, Thurii, and Metapontum though the slaves were finding success, realized that these raids did come at a price in men wounded and killed. At some point that winter, the leader, Animas, was killed, presumably in a battle of some sort. As the spring of 72 BC approached, the two remaining leaders, Spartacus and Crixus, had command of a large force of decently armed men who had proven themselves in numerous battles and raids. The question now arises, what were they going to do with these guys? And that is a difficult question to answer. I hate to ruin the surprise, but the revolt will fail. And because of this, we have no first-hand accounts from the slaves as to their goals or objectives. On top of this, even contemporary historians proposed contradictory theories. What I'm going to go with here is kind of a mix of what a number of historians seem to subscribe to, and that is this, that there was a split in the slave forces. The larger faction, under Spartacus, wanted to make their way northwards and escape over the Alps to freedom. The smaller faction, say perhaps 30,000 men under Crixus, wanted to stay in southern Italy and continue raiding and plundering, That seems to be the situation as the spring of 72 BC rolled around. The Roman Senate, kind of alarmed by how big this revolt had grown and the fact that both Glaber and Verinius had been defeated the previous year, dispatched two consular legions under the command of Lucius Gellius and Gnaeus Clodianus. At first, the legions found success. Gellius and his legion took on Crixus and his faction in a battle near Mount Garganus. At least two-thirds of the rebels, including Crixus, were killed. After the defeat of Crixus, Spartacus and his men took on the legion commanded by Clodianus and defeated it in battle. Then they turned and defeated Gellius's legion as well. They took Roman supplies and equipment and some accounts say Spartacus had 300 captured Roman soldiers executed to avenge the death of Crixus. After these defeats, the consular armies fell back towards Rome to regroup, while Spartacus and his men, numbering perhaps 120,000 by this point, moved northward. The combined legions of Gellius and Clodianus took on Spartacus again at the Battle of Picenum and were again defeated. At this point, both consuls were recalled to Rome and relieved a command. Spartacus decided to withdraw into the south. He and his men seized the town of Thury and the surrounding countryside to hole up for the winter of 72-71 to BC. As 71 BC began, the Senate, still alarmed by the size of the rebellion and the fact that it seemed to be unstoppable, decided to put Marcus Licinius Crassus in charge of putting it down. Crassus had extensive military experience, having been a field commander under Sulla during the Civil War in 82 BC and during the dictatorship that followed. Crassus was given six new legions, along with what was left of the two that had been under Gellius and uh, Clodianus. This gave him somewhere between Thirty-two and forty-eight thousand infantry, along with auxiliaries, we're not sure the exact number because legions during the time of the Republic could vary quite a bit in size. Regardless, Crassus had a well-trained force, and he drove them with brutal discipline, even reviving the punishment of decimation within the army. <laughs> Why do you hear how that worked? So, decimation was a harsh punishment. Imposed for serious offenses, such as cowardice, mutiny, desertion, and insubordination. Whatever unit was going to be punished, be it a century, cohort, or even a full legion, had its men divided into groups of ten. Each group of ten would draw lots, and the loser would be executed by the other nine, usually by clubbing, stoning, or stabbing. Wow, that's a nasty punishment. Not only did the men have to kill one of their comrades, but because the victim was chosen by lot, anyone, even a man who himself wasn't guilty, might find himself facing execution. Did Crassus use this much? Well, evidence seems to suggest that he had a single cohort decimated for insubordination for an event I'll mention shortly. That would have amounted to perhaps 50 executions total. Yeah, to his men, Crassus seemed to be far more dangerous than any enemy they might face, and this spurred them to fight even harder, so as not to run the risk of displeasing him. Anyway, back to the story. Spartacus began to move northward, so Crassus placed six of his legions near the border of the region, fought by many to be Pacenum. He detached his other two legions under the command of his subordinate, Mummius, to maneuver around to a position behind Spartacus to prevent his retreat. Mummius was given strict orders not to engage the enemy. So, of course, when the opportunity presented itself, Mummius disobeyed orders and engaged the rebel army. He was routed, and it was one of the surviving cohorts that Crassus had decimated for insubordination. Be that as it may, Crassus's main force promptly engaged Spartacus and defeated him, killing at least 6,000 of the rebels. This victory seemed to be the turning point of the war. Crassus was victorious in several more engagements, killing thousands more rebels, and forcing Spartacus to retreat southward through Lucania to the Straits near Messina. At this point, Spartacus made a deal with Silesian pirates, to transport him and 2,000 men to Sicily. His plan was to incite a slave revolt there as a way of gathering reinforcements, who he would then bring across to the mainland. The deal was made, and the pirates were paid. And then they promptly took off, abandoning Spartacus and his men. Oh, goodness, let that be a lesson to all of us. Pirates should never be paid up front. After plans fell through with the pirates, Spartacus had no choice but to continue his retreat moving toward Regium with Crassus and his legions in hot pursuit basically Spartacus and his men were being bottled up in that part of southern italy that would be the toe if you think of it as a boot at regium crassus had his troops build a line of fortifications to cut off the rebels escape and spartacus and his men found themselves under siege Now, while this was going on in the south, the victorious legions of Pompey were returning to Italy, having successfully crushed a rebellion in Hispania. We're not sure if Crassus requested reinforcements or if the Roman Senate simply took advantage of Pompey's return, but either way, he was ordered to bypass Rome and head south to aid Crassus. The Senate also sent additional troops under the command of Marcus Lucullus. With Pompey's legions marching down from the north, and Lucullus's troops traveling by water and set to land nearby, Crassus realized that if he didn't end this revolt quickly, credit for the win would go to the general who showed up with reinforcements. Crassus certainly didn't want that, so he pushed his men even harder to finish off Spartacus. Meanwhile, Spartacus got word of Pompey's approach and tried to open negotiations with Crassus to bring things to a close before Roman reinforcements arrived. Crassus refused to negotiate, so Spartacus and his army staged a breakout and fought their way through the Roman fortifications. Spartacus and his men raced northward, up the peninsula, with Crassus' legions again in pursuit the legions did manage to catch up to a portion of the rebels who had gotten separated from the main force and had fallen behind they were led by uh, ganicus and castus and while they fought valiantly they got pounded by the romans who qu- who killed over 12000 of them though spartacus had lost many men so had crassus's legions so both groups were pretty beat up by this point the difference however was that the rebels were not a trained army, and as the retreat continued, discipline began to break down. Groups of rebels, not wanting to flee any further, began to break away from the main force and to attack Crassus's legions on their own. Seeing that he was losing control of his men, Spartacus turned his forces around and threw his entire strength against Crassus in a desperate last stand. The two armies clashed at the Battle of the Salarius River, and the rebel forces were completely routed. The vast majority of the rebels were killed on the battlefield. But what happened to Spartacus? Well, all ancient historians record that he went down fighting. But the thing is, his body was never found. Ooh, and no, it's not in my basement. <laughs> so the rebels of the Third Servile War were wiped out by Crassus. Pompey's forces never did directly engage the rebels, but as they marched southwards, they did capture about 5,000 who were fleeing the battle, all of whom they killed on the spot. After this, Pompey sent a message to the Senate stating that while Crassus had certainly defeated the slaves in open battle, he, Pompey, had ended the war. This earned him much more credit for the victory than he deserved, and also earned him the dislike of Crassus. Both Pompey and Crassus reaped big-time political benefits from this war. Both returned to Rome with their legions, and both refused to disband them, instead camping them outside the city. The following year, 70 BC, both men stood for consulship, and both were elected consul, most likely due to the threat of their armed legions, who were still encamped outside the city. But talking about the further exploits of Pompey and Crassus, well, that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You know, if you like this episode, please tell your friends, and check out some of my other episodes. And I very much look forward to talking with you again in two weeks.